Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Science of Sports podcast with Professor Ross Tucker and sports journalist Mike Finch. Right, so welcome to a special episode of the Real Science of Sport podcast with myself, Mike Finch, along with the Professor Ross Tucker. And today we are talking about a very topical news item that has been a big part of the science of sport right from our first podcast almost 18 months ago and that is the case of Castor Semenya and uh, today and um, this is a few days after the ruling by the Swiss Federal Tribunal uh, Tribunal I can't actually say that properly um, that they have upheld the decision by the Court of Arbitration for Sport that Castor Semenya and uh, athletes of her like in other words athletes that are known as difference of six development athletes, um, and we'll go into a bit more detail on that, um, are now having to face the prospect of either hormone therapy to reduce their testosterone levels or choose to do different events or choose to quit from the athletics arena altogether. So it is a very complex issue. We're going to go through some of the timelines. Of course, um, Casa Simone, a double Olympic champion over the 800 meters, uh, Ross. But let's just start with the most recent timeline. We can talk about her history and her performances over this time. But the, the recent history starts back in April 2018 when the World Athletics decide on a bunch of regulations for DSD athletes. Yeah, and even those were updates um, of regulations that had already been in place. Um, before that, they had a policy that was referred to as a hyperandrogenism regulation. So hyper meaning high, androgens meaning male-making hormones, the most common and well-known of which to all the listeners, I think, would be testosterone. So effectively, what the IAAF, as they were called then, now World Athletics, I always get that wrong, so I apologize. I use those two interchangeably. <laughs> Uh, their policy was that if you wanted to compete in women's athletic events, you had to get your testosterone levels below five, and it was called hyperandrogenism. Then in, in 2018, they changed that, and the name also changed. It then became a, a document that was called uh, the DSD regulations for that's differences of sex development. So that was quite an important change. We'll talk about why in a moment, I suspect. Uh, and that's the policy that Castor Semenya then challenged, because what yeah. that policy compelled a certain group of athletes to do was to lower their testosterone levels in order to be eligible to compete in women's sport. And she said, not the first athlete to do this, there was an Indian sprinter before her, um, made the same argument. And she, Semenya said basically that this is against my rights. I don't wish to lower my testosterone levels. And so we ended up in the Court of Arbitration for Sport in 2019, February 2019. And you were there representing uh, the Casta Seminia, um, part of that discussion and part of that case. Yeah, so she was represented by two legal teams. She was directly represented by a legal team jointly from South Africa and Canada. Mm -hmm. And then Athletic South Africa, which is the governing body for the sport here in South Africa, had a legal team there to support. Um, 
for various reasons, legal teams can join cases at CAS. And so I was part of that team specifically to testify about the scientific evidence that the IAAF was using to develop those policies. Because so the other thing is the the policy initially said any athlete who wanted to compete in women's sports who had high testosterone must lower it. That then changed to not necessarily any athlete, but an athlete with one of the following six or seven medical conditions and in a very specific subset of athletics events. And those events were the 400, 400 hurdles, 800, 1500 mile. So that band of what we would call long sprint, short middle distance were the only events covered. So a 100, 200 meter athlete, a 3000, 5000, a field event athlete, a high jump, a pole vault, for instance, mm had no requirement to lower testosterone levels in order to compete, but these athletes did. And that was based on some research that I was very critical of. I still am. I think it was, it was crap. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's not a particularly scientific word, but it <laughs> describes it best. It was rubbish. It was such poor. Anyway, we'll get yeah, to that. Yeah. And so the legal team asked me to come along and contribute in that respect. Right, and then we move then to the around April, late April um, this year, um, where um, the CAS upheld the policy of World Athletics, um, and CAS, of course, is the Court of Arbitration for Sport, um, and that was, of course, the big blow for the Casta Semenya case. Uh, she then took it to this uh, the Swiss Federal Supreme Court, which is kind of the last stop. There is a, potentially one more stop for her to appeal, but uh, mm. this is kind of the last stop for her. And of course, that is the decision that we've uh, now come with to um, just a few days ago, where this Swiss, Swiss Federal Supreme Court upheld the decision of the Court of Arbitration for Sport. So let's just break it down in terms of what the issues are. It, for, for the man in the street, it's a fairly simple concept to understand that an athlete who has a high testosterone level who is participating in female sport is going to have potentially an unfair advantage in the sporting arena. That's it's in simple terms. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I'm understanding yeah. it as a as a man in the street sort of thing. Yeah, but now you but see what we have to do is we have to we have to turn the first page and then you start to see actually that an athlete with high testosterone could mean one of two things. Mm. It could mean biologically male, or it could mean has a condition that elevates testosterone biological female. And you remember that even a few minutes ago, I referred to the initial version was called the hyperandrogenism regulations because mm. it really applied to any athlete with high testosterone levels. The next iteration and the iteration which exists now, so this was in 2018 and then they updated it after the, the CAS verdict in 2019, is very clear that the policy only applies to, and you're gonna ask me to explain this, I'm sure, 46 <laughs> XY individuals with a DSD. Now what that means, the 46 XY implies that the person is chromosomally male. And the policy lists four or five conditions. I will actually read them to you because I know many of you listening to this enjoy the detail. So it says here, a relevant athlete, in other words, one who is covered or under this policy, is an athlete who meets each of the following three criteria, so all three. Number one, she has one of the following DSDs, 5-alpha reductase type 2 deficiency, and I'm hitting you with Latin here, partial androgen insensitivity syndrome, hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase deficiency, over testicular DSD, or any other genetic condition. So 
in, involving disordered gonadal steroidogenesis. So there's five medical conditions. Yeah. All of those are XY conditions. So the person's chromosomally male. Mm -hmm. As a consequence, they develop with testes. So shortly after conception, we have undifferentiated gonads. They're neither testes nor ovaries. Mm -hmm. The signal that causes them to become testes or gonads is carried by the chromosomes. Are you with me? Yeah. When the XY is that when the Y chromosome specifically, it contains a region on it called the sex determining region. When that is present, those undifferentiated gonads become testes. Subsequently, those testes produce testosterone and male development occurs. Yeah. So, and, and so these, these conditions, and I'm using the IAAF's language, are conditions that are found in biological males who then have high levels of testosterone so that's point two in this document. As a result, the athlete has circulating testosterone levels in the in the in the blood of five millimole nanomole per liter or higher. And third, she has sufficient androgen sensitivity for those levels of testosterone to have a material androgenizing effect. So those are the three things: one of five conditions, high testosterone, androgenizing effect. Now, so I hope I haven't lost listeners, but. Your initial question is high testosterone performance advantage. Yes, but in a subset of people who are biologically male mm -hmm. with testes producing that testosterone. That's who this policy applies to. Now, the reason the IAAF was so adamant about this, distastefully to a point, and I know you share the same sentiment. Yeah. Um, you can tell us in a moment why, is that men's and women's sports are separated for essential good reasons. It is necessary that male and female compete separately because the performance advantages created by testosterone and its family members, the androgens, are so large that all else being equal, there are thousands of boys and men who are faster than the fastest woman. There yeah. are thousands, if not tens of thousands of boys and men who are stronger than the strongest woman. And so the protection that is offered to female athletes by a woman's category is the premise or the basis for the IAAF's position on this issue. They are saying that a person who is 46XY producing high levels of testosterone crosses that boundary and that is not on because we wish to protect the people within that protected category. Yeah, okay. So that probably explains it a bit better. And it is, I mean, I think the strange thing about this whole scenario is it seems so simple, but as you explained, there are lots of things to consider. It's not just a, a, a testosterone issue. And what the CAS decision and what the, the actual courts, the Swiss Federal Supreme Court came up, their statement was, based on these findings, the CAS decision cannot be challenged, the tribunal said. Fairness in sport is a legitimate concern and forms a central principle of sporting competition. It is one of the pillars on which competition is based, which kind of supports what you're saying. It's whether this use of testosterone the oversupply of testosterone is effectively creating an unfair advantage for that athlete exactly and so you see that parents listening to this or in fact anyone who's ever observed anything about human performance you know that puberty and adolescence changes us yeah. to such an extent that boys and girls are pretty well matched at 10 11 12 and then all of a sudden the trajectories split out and muscle mass skeleton shape cardiovascular capacity and function tendons mm. they all are enormously affected by testosterone in ways that confers performance advantages. That does not mean that every single male beats every single female. I mean, yeah. we know the best cyclists, runners in the world are way better than we are and, and are way better than 95% of men. But mm. within a matched band, 
there is no comparison at all. And yeah. in the running events, that gap is between 10 and 15%. So we can take Usain Bolt and Shelly and Fraser Price, respectively the Olympic champions. Mm. They are identical in that they've been selected out as having the right stuff, quote unquote, the, the, the correct metabolism, neurological systems, muscle fibers, tendons, everything you can think about, biochemistry that we've spoken about creates mm -hmm. an elite athlete. But one of them is 15% faster than the other. That's the advantage of maleness. And if you if you didn't protect that, then women would not exist in yeah. elite sport. And so that, that's the IWF's position. And I have to say, you know, the IWF have struggled with this issue and that argument since 2009. They've, they've clumsily worded it in the past. By the time they arrived at CAS last year, they had this argument down. They really presented a very solid impressive argument for this biological principle for why male and female needed to be separated. And I dare say the reason they won the Semenya case was because that argument was so good. They didn't win it because of evidence and they didn't win it because their policy was sound on a governance level and their data supported them. They won it because the principle is so important and they argued it so well. Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, we're going to get into one of the comments from World Athletics about this decision, which really gets up my nose a bit. But anyway, we'll, we'll go on to that a bit later. There's no evidence to suggest that this high testosterone is necessarily an advantage in an event, or or have they proved that? that? They suggested that, that was their argument, but is there proof of that? And is that the argument against their decision? There's no direct proof. And that was, again, I was at the court um, yeah. in Lausanne specifically for that discussion. There's no proof of that statement. And so the only thing that upholds it is the principle. And the principle is actually obvious. We know it because you can just see the male advantage. There is no exception. There is no yeah. female. There's never been a female Olympic champion in yeah. this, with the exception of equestrian sports, who has come within 10% of the men's champion. It just doesn't happen. So mm. it's quite clear and almost unimpeachable logic to say that male advantage exists and is real. The problem is now when you say, okay, prove to me that these DSD athletes have that advantage, then you're asking for specific evidence. And the IWF mm. tried to get this in a very sloppy, ultimately in some instances quite dishonest way. They failed to do that, but they won the case based on principle, not the evidence. And that's that's a hole in the case to some extent. It was a massive thing. Yeah. And, you know, Cass in the end... As I say, they, they ruled in favor of the world athletics there because the biological principle, I think, is really solid. Yeah. But it wasn't the evidence. And there were so many issues with the implementation side of the policy also. But, you know, mm. what, what the IWF did basically was they surveyed every female athlete in the world championships in 2011 and 13, and they tried to relate their testosterone levels to performance. Um, and sure enough, they found that in some events, it was an association, in other words, higher testosterone led to better performances. And those events happened to be the ones in which there were athletes with DSDs. But that was held up and said, well, what's the chance of that happening if this didn't give you an advantage? And I'm, it, I'm sure that it does. There's nuance yeah. to how large that advantage might be. And is it large enough to justify some of the ethical uh, downsides and, and problems it causes in treatment of these individuals? But I'm sure that it gives an advantage and Cass decided that it was, so in Cass's words, it was balanced, proportionate and necessary. And yeah. that was the key. They, they said, they acknowledged that it's discriminatory. Yeah. And a lot of people stopped there and say, how can you discriminate? Well, you can, 
if mm. you have shown that the discrimination is necessary and proportionate. And that's what Cass felt they did. And that's clearly what the Swiss um, <laughs> Supreme Court has agreed Supported. with. One of the criticisms of the decision, particularly around World Athletics, is the fact that this is only defined in, and confined to events for 400 to the mile. Um, they are excluding the 200 meters, the 5,000, the 3,000, which means that for an athlete like Casta Semenya, in theory, she can either drop down to the 200 or she can go up to the 5,000, the, 5, the 3,000. Mm. Um, is there any evidence to suggest that those events are somehow different to the events of which she's excluded? That That's that's the thing that I find strange, that I mean, some events are excluded and some not. And this was the, this was the crux of the... Uh, rejection of the IWF's evidence. And I, when I testified, I, I pointed this out and I basically remember saying, my, my little line was, testosterone does not choose to support you and give you an advantage in one event and not the other. It does not discriminate. So we know that if testosterone is responsible for the performance advantage of male over female, and it is, it's not the only thing, but it's largely the driver of it. Mm. That advantage we know exists at 100 meters in a marathon. It exists in the long jump and the pole vault. So whether that event lasts two seconds, whether that event lasts two and a half hours, testosterone makes a big enough difference that you have to separate. So how can you select a band of events from 400 to a mile and say that's where the advantage exists? Because now you have this bizarre situation where Casta Semenya could be running in a two-day athletic meeting, and on the Saturday she's illegal, she can't run the 400, and on the Sunday she can run the 200, and it's fine. And you look and say, but it's the same person, <laughs> and the, the, the two and the four are not that different. I was going to say, there's a lot of very great athletes that have participated in both those right. events. Michael Johnson, double <laughs> Olympic champion, two and four. Mary Jose Perec in those same games, two and four. Right now, one of the best female athletes in the world is Shawnee Miller, 200, 400 meter combination. Wait for Nick right. 200, 400 combo. So those events are not the so physiologically different. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But here you've got a policy that says you're okay. Next day they're into a different event. Now you're not. That's stupid. And it's a paradox that was created by their clumsy research. Um, you know, they also found, for instance, that low testosterone actually was an advantage in the 100. Now, that's that's a spurious, nonsensical finding. <laughs> Yet, and, and they found, by the way, that high testosterone improved pole vault and hammer, but they're not included. So it was very selectively applied research. And please, listeners, I'm not... I'm not suggesting that testosterone doesn't give an advantage. It does. It is the most powerful predictor. If you if you want to, if 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 there was an intergalactic Olympics and you had to pick an athlete to represent Earth in that event, and you had only one basis to do it on, you would pick based on testosterone level, yeah. because it would at least guarantee you that you're going to get a biological male, and that's going to be your. Because if you didn't do it on testosterone, if you picked low testosterone you would definitely be picking an inferior athletic human. Yeah. That's just biological reality. So, I mean, in short, there is no evidence to suggest from what the World Athletics have presented that these events of which they have said, if you are suffering, what well, I don't want to use the word suffering, but you have a, a, a this 46XY DSD condition and you can't participate at 400 a mile, but you can participate in 200 and 5,000. Evidence is that there is there should be no difference. In other words, if they were going to make a decision, it should be across all athletics yeah. or only the running events. It should be across all sport, not yeah. just athletics. I mean, the differences in weightlifting are even bigger because upper yeah. body strength is even more benefited from testosterone. So there the differences are 30-something percent, throwing, serving, tennis. I mean, you name a sport, 
testosterone creates an insurmountable performance advantage for those who can use it, i.e. Mm. biological males. Now, the, the, the problem with the whole process is that CAS can't make that evaluation. They mm. can't tell the IWF, actually, your, your policy is paradoxical. It's internally contradictory. You've come at us with a principle that argues very well that testosterone is the basis for the performance advantage. And then on the application end of it, you're going you're gonna to tell us that only five events, four events are sufficient yeah. enough to regulate. That's ridiculous. Like, how can yeah. you how can you hold that principle with this policy? The one they don't they don't don't fit one another. It's, it's such a bizarre situation. So, Cass should have said, "We believe your principle. Therefore, this policy should apply across the whole spectrum of events." Yeah, that yeah. would have actually been more coherent biologically yeah. than what they've got now. Yeah. And and of course, World Athletics have said that this is this policy is a living document, which which means they're basically suggesting that they will adjust the events that it, it affects potentially down the road. So if Cassia Semeni decides to do the two hundred, we'll talk a little bit about whether she can or not, or the five thousand, and she she ends up doing well, they could then shift the goalpost again and say, oh, you can't do that event either. Yeah, it's like it's like that game hit the crocodile <laughs> at the at the fairground. Like yeah. you just wait, and so basically by saying that. They are allowing themselves, the moment another DSD athlete comes along and wins at any other event, they're going to say, your victory proves advantage, bang, at that event. Right. So that's what they've done. And again, they might actually have arrived at, at conceptually or in principle the, the right position, but they have arrived at the right position in completely the wrong direction and, and, and manner. I mean, it really is. A massive failure of governance and then now you've got to think also about the the implications and the damage that the the use of this policy i mean the policy effect well yeah tool. i mean that, that was my next question how do you implement this ruling across those events are all female athletes going to be tested at every single competition when they reach a certain level mm, well is that the would that, yeah. that the only way you can do it one of the fundamental issues at CAS, and it was it was central to the closing argument for Semenya's team, was that in order to actually apply this tool, this policy, you had to make some kind of subjective assessment of who needed to be investigated. So yeah. you needed a person, and even in the IWF documents, it discusses opening of a case, and it talks about the IWF medical manager may investigate at any time. But now on what basis? Because what does DSD look like? And one of the so one of the things that Semenya's lawyers were saying is that you're asking someone now to make a subjective judgment on who's feminine enough and who's not, and if they're not, to then go and investigate in potentially a very invasive way that the IWF, let's face it, hasn't exactly covered themselves in glory. You look at the cases in the past; the, they argue that they've handled it confidentially and sensitively. I mean, the athletes. The most powerful testimony at Cass was one of the athletes who absolutely ripped into them. It was, it was, uh, she was, she was vicious about the way that she'd been treated in this investigative process. It's, mm. it's very damaging to a young athlete to go through this. Now, Cass heard that and decided that it's still necessary and mm -hmm. proportionate and and fair. Um, that's where there's a big dif difference of opinion, I think, in disagreement. And just, and I'm um, just to clarify then the idea of a DSD there is no such thing as an as a, an, a sort of a, a type because a DSD athlete can have take all sorts of forms just because an athlete looks potentially more manly there are DSD athletes who might not show those as more manly uh, characteristics 
and still be DSD athletes. Right. So you could get false negatives yeah. in the sense that people are missed because they don't look different enough from your stereotype mm. for you to identify them. Then there will be false positives mm. where people look different enough and they get investigated for no reason. And that's obviously not good. Yeah. And then you'll get your cases like the IWF are expecting where the medical manager may investigate based on, I mean, they say that they want the athlete to self-report. I mean, do you think? <laughs> no. <laughs> do, yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Like, are you, are you joking? Yeah. You want, you want someone having watched Castus Mania fight for 11 years to go to you and knock on the door and say, yeah. Sorry, sir, I might. No, not happening. Yeah. And then doping control, they say, medical directors of, of teams, so chief medical officers. But the argument Semenya's lawyers put forward is you're basically relying on rumor mills, hearsay, he said, got a tip off. Yeah. And that's not because the, the, the downstream consequences of this are not pleasant. Yeah. Because once the athlete, it's either surgery to remove the testes or it's medication to lower the hormone levels with potential side effects. Yeah. It can be invasive. The IWF have been accused of lying to the athletes about what's happening to them. And it's it's just life, it's a life-changing thing that they haven't figured out a way to handle. And again, I'm not arguing here that they, sh they don't need to handle it because I do, I'm a big believer in a firm line separating biological male and female. So in principle, I think the policy is correct. Mm. I just don't know that they figured out how to deliver it, you know? like mm. So you've got to a necessary tool mm. you know like if, if it's a hammer it's great we need a hammer but at the moment everyone's hitting everyone's fingers off with it yeah okay so let's just talk about the options and let's start off with that first option that you've just mentioned the medical risks what does Casta Semeni have to do now from a medical perspective if she wants to participate well, so the medical risk is something she would invite if she decided to, to comply with the policy so the, the policy has basically said, you are a relevant athlete. You have one of these five DSDs, your 46XY DSD. In order to compete, we need your testosterone below five for six months. She can now take drugs. She needs to find a doctor who's willing. And by the way, at CAS, this was a big deal. The, the medical fraternity are saying, but you want us to give a healthy person who doesn't want the drug, a drug with potential side effects because a third party is obliging them to. That's so, yeah. so the medical, and in the aftermath, uh, there was an association of doctors who actually told their members to not comply with the policy. So, so that's a pretty okay. big deal as well. But in any, any event, let's say that let's say so that we're saying we're saying she, if she has to do that, she has to find a doctor that is willing to do that, and that is also a task within itself. Right, because the doctor might say, actually, you know, this person really wants it. Mm. I'm convinced. But the only basis for me to give these powerful drugs for them is for sports performance. It's not health. So yeah. as a doctor, and I've sworn an oath almost a commitment to beneficence of my patient, like, can I, can I do this? Is this ethical for me medically? And there are going to be doctors who refuse. Yeah. The, the organization told their doctors to refuse. So yeah. anyone who's <laughs> obliged sure. to follow that does that. So that was another area where the tool might be necessary. But again, we're hitting mm. implementation we're smashing is the issue. Own, we're smashing our own fingers here. Mm. Um, Assuming she does that, she lowers her testosterone levels, a couple of things will happen. Number one is her performance will deteriorate. By how much, we, we don't know. The IWF presented some evidence at CAS that there's about a 5% drop in performance in the athletes who this has done, been done with in the last decade. Okay. That would take some menu from running 155 to running two minutes. And that's a big enough slowing down that she goes from dominating the Olympic final to 
scraping, scraping into the it, final, yeah. maybe, yeah. if she gets a good semi, a good performance mm. in the semi. So that's a big difference. I mean, front of the field to back of the field. Mm. Uh, the problem is, and, and obviously her 400 and her 1500 similarly would slow down and she she would she'd be unlikely to feature in, in an Olympic podium, definitely, let alone a final. Oh, yeah. in, a, in a final, let alone a podium. When you say her performance will go down, how physiologically does that happen? Does in other words, does she lose muscle mass? Does she lose strength? What what what, so, what is the actual physiological so, action? So I'm currently involved in the world rugby transgender thing, which we will discuss. That'll be a yeah. bumper episode. It's kind of out in the in the domain now, but we can't talk about it just yet. Yeah, yes, give it a while, but we will do that. But so 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 a couple of things happen. Muscle mass goes down very slightly, five or six percent. As a consequence, strength drops between naught and five percent some athletes retain their strength some some sorry some transgender women retain their strength when they lower testosterone uh, and then the the thing that changes the quickest with implications for running is hemoglobin levels drop <clears throat> so your hemoglobin levels go from fairly high to mm. male range to female range fairly quickly and that combination of things plus more body fat um, means that in the end you just slow down now the studies just come out of the U.S. military and trans women, not quite the same as Semenya. Again, I can't stress that enough. Where running performance gets about five to seven percent worse with testosterone reduction. So again, that that would be in the same ballpark as what World Athletics is saying happens in these athletes. So that would be a consequence of muscle mass, cardiovascular, hemoglobin, and body fat changes. Okay. All right. So. Let's discuss the opportunities for her. 200 meters, she's not right, so, particularly competitive in <clears throat> so, that sorry, space just to, now. Just to finish that, so if she yeah. takes the option, she makes herself a relevant athlete, she takes the, well, she is, she takes the testosterone-lowering medication, that, that's the performance consequence. Then there are health consequences. Bone mineral density drops. There's a risk of osteopenia and osteoporosis. And then we try to present at CAS the risk of thrombolytic events, strokes, and cardiovascular complications goes up quite significantly. So when you take these drugs, and in effect, you're taking a 29, 30 year old athlete, um, you're taking away their testosterone, they already don't have much in the way of estrogen. So they'd be menopausal at 30. Sure. And any listeners who, who know that it's not the greatest thing in the world to go through. Uh, so the sure. athletes testified hot flushes, uh, fatigue, loss of energy. So there are some lifestyle things, some cardiovascular and some bone health risks that she would also be taking in order to do it. And because her performance is likely to get slow enough that she's not going to win major races. You've got to ask whether the cost is worth the benefit. So yeah. I would oh. suspect it's unlikely that many athletes do this. Yeah. So that leaves her with a next choice, which is what you're asking is she runs an event not covered by the policy. That event would most likely be the 200. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Earlier this year, she runs 23.49 at altitude, so it's probably worth a 22.6, 22.8. Sorry, 23.8. Yeah, 23.8. That is a second to a second and a half slower than you would need to make an Olympic final. 
So she's got a long way to go before she makes the Olympic final in 200. It's not impossible. It would be difficult, but that's more, she's looking at improving by five to 8% just to make the final. She'd need a two second improvement to be a medalist in the 200. And I, I can't see that happening. It would be, it would be astonishing if it did. From from the outside looking in, I, I often think that she'd be better designed if she moved up to five thousand. She could be competitive because she's got she will have some remnants of her speed left, but she will be able to turn into more of an, an of an endurance athlete. Is that not a better, her, a better option for her? It might be. I mean, I'm assuming that they've already figured out that coming down is better than going up. Yeah. Um, you know, she started as an 800-meter athlete. Then she won the Diamond League final over 400. And, I mean, that 4-8 combo is rare. There was – remember the Cuban Juan Terena, Alberto Juan Terena? He was – he's about the only guy who's really done that double. Mm-hmm. The 8-15 is common, but 8-4, not so much. Yeah. Um, Vilova, by the way, holds the Cone World Record, had a mean 400 in her as well. So that's actually another example. Um, I'm not mm. sure that she can say that that wasn't testosterone-aided either, by the way. Um so I assume they figured that out. Maybe they've worked out that she just isn't economical enough to transfer her 1,500 up in yeah. the distance, but that she has enough speed to try and challenge a 200. Irrespective, her range is astonishing. I mean, there are yeah. very few athletes with world-class 800 potential who can run a good 15 and a good four and a decent 3,000 and a two and win the South African title at five. It's, it's crazy range. So to kind of wrap it up and uh, just to give you some context here in South Africa, of course, South Africa, it's a very emotive issue. It's not just about sport. There's political issues involved here and uh, the South African government and the South African Department of Sport have come out saying that they are very disappointed in the decision. They're going to continue to challenge it because it's a human rights issue and all that sort of thing. But to kind of summarize it best is that you said it in your tweets yesterday this is a no-win situation for basically everybody. It is. A, it is. A, it's a tragedy of the highest proportion. It's a tragedy for, for her, for world athletics, for all sorts of people. There really isn't a solution. This is the only feasible outcome rather than a solution. If you selected from the various elements that are relevant to this discussion, and you selected only one, namely fairness of sporting performance for biological females then you're going to go well of course there's a solution and they've arrived at it just don't let people who are biological xy with testes and high testosterone run in women's events done end of wash your hands thank you problem solved yeah the the problem is that that's a very narrow and some i don't want to call it selfish but it just it doesn't it doesn't respect all the other problems created downstream of your single <laughs> selfish solution yeah so you're right there's no solution that satisfies everyone if they if they allowed it then there would be justifiable reasons for biological females to say hang on we have a category because we can't use testosterone the way that biological males can and you are now not protecting that principle so yeah. we are now upset as it is, you've made a group of people upset because you are creating medical harm, potentially uh, ethical concerns, discrimination concerns, and so on. And so there is, and there never was going to be a solution. If, at 1930-something, the first cases like this were identified, and they floundered and tried horrendously to, to fix this problem for decades and haven't been able to. The, 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 bigger, the bigger problem, and, and this... This discussion does happen in a context of 
male female sports issues in the world there's the transgender issue which we will pick up on yeah like the united nations a couple of months ago brought out a statement condemning the world athletics policy there is pressure from the united nations that all sporting policies that require athletes to lower testosterone be set aside they want self identification to do the job now if that happened it would be an absolute disaster for women's sport because if all it took was a self declaration then then there is no such thing anymore as a protected category for biological females so there's a there's a lot going on you know there's a chessboard yeah. here with different pieces oh. on it we're talking about one of them and this particular one has no there's no real winner but there's a there's a very distinct obvious loser and it's semenya yeah plus there are other athletes also yeah. affected by this policy she's the one in the spotlight so it's just sad and that's why yeah. it's frustrating when people celebrate it this 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 is not a victory <laughs> for anyone not at all really i was just going to end with that and maybe you can just add your final comments to this this was the statement from world athletics it said it was very pleased that the highest court in switzerland had joined the highest court in sport in endorsing its arguments and it goes on to say, well, they, they that it has it it has it rejected the suggestion that they infringe on any athlete's human rights, including the right to dignity and the right to bodily integrity, et cetera, et cetera. All very nice words at the end, but I do find, <laughs> given what you just said there, to suggest that they are very pleased at the outcome, I just think it's potentially the wrong wording in that situation because you cannot be pleased having to make a decision about this that affects a, a pretty good athlete's life through no fault of her own and the way that they've dealt with it suggests that there's almost this kind of a lack of care or empathy towards the situation yeah i mean you you say probably not it's not that's just not right to no. say we're pleased i mean were they were they popping a champagne cork yeah. in their offices in monaco mm. it's just not yeah i mean the wording I, is wrong <laughs> i understand the sentiment and again, it's such a confusing issue that many listeners might go, actually, I don't know what to make of this. If that's your yeah. response to this, then you get it. <laughs> yeah. Because that's, look, I used to give it's lectures on this. And best say, summary like, if ever. You, if you are listening to this talk and we've gotten to the end of it and you're confused, then you understand. It's one of those <laughs> issues. But um, what, what should they say? I mean, you, you've, you've been in the media. Like, let's, let's advise them on how they should respond. I would say they should say, we are satisfied with the decision of the court we believe that it upholds our intentions yeah we are very sorry and we have regret that our policy which is necessary also causes harm and we see that and we understand yeah. that and we recognize it yeah that's because exactly i would say that's it i mean yeah that's it so cass cass has said that i mean cass has almost teed it up for them they said that this is discriminatory. Mm. It does infringe on bodily integrity, yeah. the right to bodily. Yeah. Like, how can you say it doesn't? Yeah, you're, it does. you're compelling someone to take testosterone. To, you can't mm. pretend you're in an alternate universe. Like, yeah. come on, man. Tough. So it does those things, but you as the IWF, we as the IWF are resolute. We see that it does that, but we believe that this is necessary. And we are very sorry that it has to come to this in order to protect women's sport, but we are holding the line because we must yeah well you said IWF again instead of world athletics well, yeah so <laughs> maybe because of how we think about them more than anything yeah we apologize to world athletics for calling you the IWF again but we don't apologize for being slightly critical of the way that you uh that you phrased your uh your statements today well that is that is it around Kessa Semenia the 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 only other option for her is 
I think it was an appeal to the European courts of something or other. Yeah, but, human rights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like it's not going to be something that would be feasible for her to do because I can't imagine another court is going to make another decision. Is this the end of the road for Kesha Semenya? Well, there's that. And also, it was remarkable. One of the most amazing things in the decision the other day from the Swiss Supreme Court is they write, the European Court of Human Rights also attaches particular importance to the aspect of fair competition. Now, mm. they've put that line in there. It's almost preemptively saying, yeah. look, you can go, but they see it the way we do. So you're probably better off not going. Yeah. And it is, as I understand it, I'm no lawyer, but as I understand it, that's a lengthy process. We're talking mm. years. Mm. She doesn't have years in her athletics career. So if she did it, it would be a victory for someone else, really. Yeah. She'd, she'd be, it would be a victory for her cause, not for her career. Um, and it's costly, yeah. and there seems to be a low chance of winning it. There yeah. is, there is, by the way, UN pressure here um, to get rid of all these policies, which sport has to face up to, independent of all this. So, yeah, so I can't see her going that way. It seems it seems like she's going to try the two hundred. Her other option, by the way, is to be, give both middle fingers and say, you know what, I've had eleven years of this. I've actually had a good career. Yeah. I've set myself up as someone who can actually work outside of being an elite athlete and i'm going to go and do that now so yeah see ya well for us as south africans um i can tell you that we are saddened by um these decisions even though as we've talked about a lot of them make sense and they are difficult decisions but uh we wish Cassia Semenya all the best for whatever she decides to do going forward i personally hope that she decides to compete in some shape or form whether it is in a shorter distance or a longer distance and even if it is just locally to do what she loves and uh, she certainly is an athlete that for those of you who have met her and i have had the privilege of meeting her on a couple of occasions she is a very sweet person and uh didn't really hasn't really deserved what she has gone through in the last 11 years so i my heart goes out to her, and I'm sure that for most of you listening, they will probably feel the same way about a very tragic story about a great person. So, Cassis Minia, good luck to you. From us at the World's at the Real Science of Sport, it's goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Science of Sport podcast. Follow us on Twitter at SportsSciPod and on Instagram at Science of Sport Podcast. 